your life today or we'll be empty. Fill us with all the fullness of your spirit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So will we come to peace or will we come to pieces? I've been watching the world in recent weeks and there's even a World Peace Index which evaluates and says there are only 10 countries in our world that are not in some kind of war right now. Uh, Compared to 10 years ago, 81 countries have become more peaceful, 79 have become less peaceful. Forget about countries. How about you? Would you say compared to 10 years ago that you're more peaceful or less peaceful? And at every level of international, national, uh, civic, domestic, at every level, we wrestle with conflict. It's sort of the order of the day. And I wonder how you and I will live as the people of God in a world at war. Just to bring it down, do you ever find that your friends get in a fight? You're... Um, your family members are in a conflict and, and you sort of, are you, the, are you the pacifist who sort of stands on the sidelines and says, oh, I hope this gets better? I mean, is there something we can actually do when our friends are fighting? Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the British preacher, is one of my heroes and he had a friend named Newman Hall who wrote a book called Come to Jesus. Isn't that a great title? Come to Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. So he, he wrote a book about it, and, and another pastor in London wrote a snarky review of his book. And he, you know, Newman thought he was just going to let it go. He thought he was going to let it go, but then he thought, no, no, I, I'm, I'm going to say something about it. And the guy wrote something else or said something else, and he heard about it. So he decided to publish a letter in response to the guy who had criticized his book, and it was full of vitriol. It was an angry letter in which he just sort of eviscerated this person who had the audacity to question his book. But before he published it, he decided to take it by Spurgeon's office and just let his friend read the letter and see if he could add anything to it. And his friend said... Spurgeon said, yeah, I see the letter. I think maybe you should add one last thing. Under this angry letter, under your signature, why don't you just write, author of the book, come to Jesus. And they looked at each other for a moment, and Newman Hall tore up the letter and never sent it. And in that moment, Charles Spurgeon was a peacemaker. And you know what Jesus said about peacemakers? They will be called the sons and daughters of God. To be clear, making peace doesn't make you a son or daughter of God, but it does prove your paternity, that you belong to the Prince of Peace. And Paul asked a friend of his to be a peacemaker in the church at Philippi. Can I show you? Would you open your Bibles with me? Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. We don't actually know his name, unless his name was Syzygus. Some translations have Syzygus, but Ganesius Syzygus 
can mean loyal yoke fellow or true partner. Maybe he's not telling us his name. Maybe he's telling us who this guy is. And he wants him to help two leaders in the church to get along. Because when the leaders of the church don't get along, when we can't reconcile with each other, then it sure looks like to the world outside of Christ that our whole message of reconciliation isn't really true. Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord together today, the power to make peace. Who has the power to make peace? Look at verse 2, Philippians chapter 4. Paul has just told us our citizenship is in heaven and we're awaiting a Savior who's going to transform our bodies so that we will be like Him, so we can stand firm against the forces outside the kingdom of God. But right now, Paul's concerned about the forces inside, so he says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Ganesius Syzygus, help these women since... They have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, my synergizers in Greek, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard like an army, like a garrison will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It turns out that peace is not just a principle. Peace is a person. It is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. And that means that peace has a chance because it turns out that the Prince of Peace is the Lord of life who overcame death, hell, sin, and the grave. And he's seated at the right hand of God making intercession for us. So when Paul hears that Euodia, whose name means sweet fragrance, if you're looking for a name for your daughter someday, sweet fragrance, and um, Syntyche, whose name uh, means fortunate, Fortunate and sweet fragrance are not getting along. To be clear, they were partners with Paul in the gospel and they used to fight side by side. But now, they're fighting face to face, which is not good. And Paul knows it's not good. And so he writes to this friend and says, they need to get along. What's at stake here really? Well, it turns out these ladies' names are written in the book of life. They're going to spend all of eternity together in heaven. So they might as well start getting along now. And he wants his friend 
to help them. He, he's asking his friend to be a peacemaker. And if you were that friend and you had two friends who were really angry at each other, you might think maybe he thought, who am I? Who am I to intervene in this situation? I mean, they've got this line of hostility and I'm supposed to turn it into a a triangle of love, but I'm not sure I might get shot at if I get in the middle of this. So I'd rather stand on the sidelines and in answer to the implied question, who am I? Paul says, a better question is, where are you? And here's the answer in verse two, in verse four, in verse seven. Where are you? You're in the Lord. You're in the Lord. You're in Jesus Christ, which means you already have all the resources you need to be a peacemaker. If you ask me, what exactly do we bring to the table when we have friends who are in conflict? How can I help my friends? My answer is every time a follower of Jesus Christ who is filled with the Spirit of God, who is in Christ, comes to people who are in conflict, what we bring to it is God himself because God lives inside us and God empowers us. And so I could say we bring God to the table, but I'd rather say he brings us to the table. And when he does, we are able not only to have peace, but to make peace. Watch what he says about this. Maybe we've forgotten who we are. We are loved by him. We are in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, Paul just sort of outlines it here and says, in Christ, we are joyful. We're not empty people. We're full. We're not full of ourselves. We're full of Christ. And to be full of Christ is to be full of joy. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Listen, if the Bible says something one time, you know for sure it's important. But when Paul says it again and again in chapter 3, verse 1, in chapter 4, verse 4, twice, rejoice in the Lord, what he's saying to us is your primary position in life is in the Lord. And here we thought we were under the circumstances. Well, under the circumstances, I don't think that I can do anything about this. But what could you do in Christ? I got a front row seat to glory again this week. I made the pilgrimage up to Dallas to see my mom. Her brother from Arizona, her sister from Chicago, came down to see her. And mom's not, thanks for praying for her. Mom's not doing well. And she's in a pretty serious decline right now. And and those who haven't seen her for a while, when they see her, it's just kind of unbelievable. And so I just went because I wanted to be there to, to love my aunt and my uncle and just to help them and process with them. And, and it's hard. Some of you know what I'm talking about, to say the long goodbye to a family member who's struggling with dementia or struggling with Alzheimer's. And, and it's hard. But I'll tell you something, and I don't even know if you'll believe me when I say it, but I hope you will. There's also a deep joy. There's a very deep joy joy because I know who my mom is and I know who her Lord is and he's perfect in all his ways and he's a good good father and she is loved by him and I found myself thinking well under the circumstances there's not a lot of joy but thank God my mom's primary position in life is not under the circumstances it is in Christ in the Lord and the Lord is in her and he is her 
He is who he has always been to her, her hope of glory. And because that's true, I I get in the car and I drive, and I hate that drive, I'm just being honest, but I get in the car and I feel like God is with me all the way there and when I get there, he's with her and he's with us and we share in the scripture and I pray with her and I sing to her and it's the presence of Christ that makes the difference. So there is a joy, we'll discover it someday, that's so great that it's no longer in us, we're in it. Because God envelops us with his joy. In Christ, we are joyful. He goes on in verse 5 to say, here's how you can live a peaceful, peacemaking life. In Christ, we are graceful. We're full of grace. Where where do I see that? Well, in in verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be known by everyone. Different translations uh, put that that differently. Um, The ESV, if you have that, says reasonableness, doesn't it? reasonableness. Uh, I got a new translation this week. Um, I'm still trying to evaluate the Christian Standard Bible, and it says, let your graciousness. And here's that word, epi-i-case, best translation of it, Matthew Henry, sweet reasonableness. He says, this is what Christians project to everyone in the world, sweet reasonableness. And why would we do that? Because the Lord is near. Not just the Lord is coming back, and that's true, but because wherever you are, Christian, he's right, he's right here. And so we should be reasonable in a sweet way with other people. So Christians are not primarily characterized by anger. I know we live in a world world where there's lots of rage and anger and disputing. But here's the thing about Christians. We're not only the ones who love our friends. We're the ones who love our enemies with sweet reasonableness. And why would we do that? Because the scripture says while we were still enemies... God reconciled us to himself uh, in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. While we were, you know what that word is? It's ekthroi. While we were still haters of God, that's when he was on the cross dying for us, dying for his enemies, loving his enemies, teaching us to love our enemies because when we do, he says, you'll be like your father in heaven. You'll be perfect as your father in heaven. One of the ways the world knows who Christians are is not if we're the ones who yell louder and are meaner, But if we're the ones who love our enemies, then we show the world a clear picture of Christ. I've shared this story before, but it's Jess Moody's story about the boy who had a favorite dog and he loved his dog, and uh, his dog loved the neighbor's chicken coops. So he was always going in there and stealing eggs, and one neighbor was pretty mean. Farmer Jones lives across the street, says, if I catch your dog in my chicken coop again, I'm going to shoot him. So he chains up his dog, but the dog gets off the chain. He comes home and finds that the dog has been killed by his neighbor. Walks straight in his house, straight back to his bedroom, grabs his 22 rifle, starts to walk out. His mom said, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking my gun. Where are you going? To Farmer Jones's house. What are you going to do? I'm going to shoot his horse. That'll make it right. And as he's walking up the driveway, his mother stands on the porch and shouts at him, don't debate. Don't escalate. Don't retaliate. For heaven's sake, bake him a cake. And he turned around and said, what? She said, bake him a cake. Can you imagine that boy covered in flour that afternoon in the kitchen, baking a cake, and with all the love of Newman for Seinfeld, and Seinfeld for Newman, speaking through his teeth, he walked to the door and said to Farmer Jones, this is for you. 
and walked back to his house and went to church on Sunday, and everybody was surprised to see Farmer Jones in church because they couldn't remember when he was last in church. And they were even more surprised when he received Christ as his Savior and said to the pastor, I wanted to come to the church and meet the God who would make a boy bake a cake for the man who shot his dog. And don't miss this. His mother is a daughter of God because she's the peacemaker. She could have said, let me get my gun too. We'll, 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 we'll just take turns shooting his horse. Well, she could have. Some of you may have moms like that. I don't know. But she said, don't do it. Bake him a cake. This is the love of Christ, that in Christ we are full of joy. In Christ we are full of of grace. We've been graced and so we give grace. We've been forgiven and so we forgive. So a soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15 verse 1. So Ephesians 4:29, let no unwholesome no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God because when we're angry, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God who seals us for the day of redemption. Instead, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of that. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another as in Christ God has forgiven you. This is who we are. We are full of joy. We are full of grace. He says we are not primarily fearful. Instead, we're prayerful. So he says don't be anxious about anything. And boy, do we live in a world that needs to hear that message. Recent studies about anxiety say that what depression was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, anxiety is today. In fact, one writer said this week that if Americans could enter the competition, we would win the gold medal for anxiety. We are as anxious as we have ever been. We are fearful. We are afraid of so many things. And to hear Paul say what Jesus said, don't be divided, marry him not. Oh, Jesus uses it in Matthew 6. Don't worry, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Will worry add a single hour to your life? No, it'll take an hour away, but it won't add an hour to your life. And, and Paul says, don't worry about anything. But in everything, with, with, pray, with prayer and petitions and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't, don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Cast all your anxiety on Him, 1 Peter 5, 7. Why? Because He cares for you. Don't be fearful, but be prayerful. And prayerful people are peaceful, so He says, and the peace of God will guard like a garrison when we pray. God wants us to pray. And when God's people pray and we bring our petitions to Him and all our prayers, He almost exhausts the Greek language with three different words for prayer there. And not only are we prayerful, but He says we're also, we're thankful people. So with thanksgiving. Lester, whenever he read that, our, our pastor emeritus would always raise one finger. With thanksgiving. Kenny Cameron told me that. With thanksgiving. So we are God's thankful people. I was reading about Thanksgiving this week. Um, the scripture again, Colossians chapter 3.15. Let peace rule in your hearts with thanksgiving. So peace and thanksgiving go together. Grateful, grateful people. Meister, Meister Eckhart said this. He said, here's the thing. If the only prayer you ever pray in your life is, is this word, thank you, 
it is enough. That, that would be a great prayer, just to be grateful for God's grace. He goes on to say in verse 8, we are thoughtful people. In Christ, we are thoughtful. We think about these things. And if you look at that list of words there, you realize the only person who is all of those things in verse 8, he lists eight things there in verse 8. Finally, whatever is true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. The only person who fulfills that is Jesus. So he says, look at Jesus. Think about Jesus. There are some neuroscientists who've written a book called God and Your Brain. And here's what they learned in their scientific research. That when you and I take time to be quiet and to think about something that's very precious to us, it actually helps our brains to calm down, that peace actually comes by, by thinking. And they talk about a mantra or a saying. Well, here's a, a good mantra. Some of our Christian brothers and sisters in the world, this is what they pray over and over again. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's called the Jesus Prayer. It's the prayer the blind man prayed uh, to, to get Jesus to notice him. Lord Jesus He said, Son of David, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when we pray that prayer and we think that thought and we fix our minds on Jesus, we fix our thoughts on things above and our hearts on things above, good things happen in our lives. And we find through prayer and through thinking about Christ that we we come to peace in ourselves. And that's important. Kind of like the... You know when you're on the plane and they show you the picture of the oxygen mask dropping in the video? I've never actually seen an oxygen mask drop, and I'm kind of glad about that. But, but what they say, remember, you always listen to those people, don't you? What if they said something different next time? No, they won't. But, but, but if they did, they say, you breathe first, and then you can help somebody else. Thomas Akempis said, maybe here's the thing. Maybe we could start by finding peace in ourselves through Christ, and then we could bring peace to others. And here's what we got to know. So he says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. I'll tell you one thing for sure. We will never have the peace of God without the God of peace because it turns out peace is personal for God. C.S. Lewis said, so God can't give you peace and joy apart from himself because there's no such thing. There is no peace and joy apart from the presence of God in our lives. And he says, the God of peace will be with you. It's his presence that we bring to bear, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. Imagine if everywhere we went, everywhere we went this week, we were the presence of Christ. Well, we are. That's who we are. And the presence of Christ can give peace a chance when nobody else will give it a chance. So peace is personal. It's not like God sends you an envelope with peace in it. He gives you himself. The God of peace lives in us. He is with us. Notice that this, um, this peace is um, it's profound. He says it transcends all understanding. God's peace transcends all. It doesn't make sense. I mean, these things I'm telling you this morning, some of you are going, nobody can live that way. Nobody really does that. Well, Jesus did. You say, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. But you're the body of Christ. So when are we going to start being like him? Like when we get to heaven? We might want to start today. Being like him. To be like Christ is to live 
with a deep sense of his peace. You may have heard of veteran Smeljevic. He uh, lived in Sarajevo. They call him the cellist of Sarajevo. Amazing story. He lived beside a bakery. One day he had some, there were 22 people waiting in line beside that bakery. There was a war going on in the city and somebody bombed the bakery, killed all 22 people. So you know what he did? The next day he put on his tuxedo, grabbed his cello, sat down in the bomb crater and started making beautiful music. Somebody said, why? He said, this is the only gift I have to offer to a world at war. I will give them the beauty of beautiful music. And he did it for 22 days in a row, one for each day, one day for each person who died. He did that with bombs blowing up around him, with snipers shooting all around him, and he was never harmed. It kind of reminds me of Psalm 91. A a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. It will not come near you. And somebody asked him, some person in the media said, so are you crazy? (laughs) And he said, why are you asking me if I'm crazy? Why don't you ask the people who are shooting the bullets and launching the bombs, ask them if they're crazy. I'll tell you what Christians know. It turns out the peacemakers are not the crazy ones. It's the peace breakers who are the crazy ones. And we are the ones who have been so loved that we so love, who have been so graced that we give grace to others because the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord fills us. We want everybody to experience that peace. And he says it's a protective peace, personal, profound, protective peace. It guards. It's like an army. The word is garrison, like an army that guards your heart and your mind. And how does it do it? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, he guards our hearts and our minds. In verse 7, it says, so God protects us in the midst of that. My favorite poets is uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson, who, who said, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. That's his most famous quote. But I, I was reminded this week that he had another poem about, like, the love of God guarding us. Love is and was my Lord and King, and in his presence I attend to hear the tidings of my friend, which every hour his couriers bring. Love is and was my King and Lord, and will be, though as yet I keep within his court on earth and sleep, encompassed by, here it is, his faithful guard. And here at times a sentinel. You hear that? It's like a sentry, a guard who moves about from place to place and whispers to the worlds of space in the deep night, that all is well. When I went to see my mom this week, her caretaker was in the room, and, and I walked in with my aunt and uncle. I told my mom before I went to the airport to pick him up, I said, I'm bringing your brother and your sister back. And my mom said to me, are you telling me a story? And I said, no, I'm not telling you a story. And so I get back, and we walk in the room, and my mom looks up at her caretaker and says, that's my son. You just get these glorious moments. That's my son, she says. It's just a moment of illumination. Here's, here's the way I envision this. When you and I do what God believes we can do and bring his presence to bear in a world that is riddled with conflict, the Heavenly Father looks down at us and says, she's my daughter. That's my son. Like Eric Reese, our missionary in 
Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Eddie was telling me about him this week. Amazing, amazing missionary. Loved the Lord with all his heart. He preached here one time. Big guy, strong guy. He worked in the city of God. That sounds like fun, except the city of God is a slum where the, the, the mafia drug lords live, and the police dared to kill one of the mafia drug lords, and the mafia drug lords declared war on the police, and Eric Reese heard about it, and he had been ministering in the city of God slum. That's the name of it, the city of God, favela, slum. And he had been playing ball with the kids, and he had been telling them about Jesus, and he said, I want to talk with the mafia drug lord. They said, nobody talks with the mafia drug lord. He said, but I want to. And they said, okay, you come to such and such place tonight. And he did. And they blindfolded him. And then they took him to another place. And suddenly he was in the room with all the drug lords. And he said, I understand you've declared war on the police. And I know they killed one of your own. But I just want you to know, if you go forward with this, a lot of you are going to die. And a lot of them are going to die. You know what happens in a world where it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth? Everybody ends up blind and toothless. And you're going to die, and they're going to die, and it's not going to make our city a better place. It's not going to help. And they listened to him, and they called off the war. They called it off because one person took a stand. You know what I think God has to say about that? He's my son. And how do we know Eric Reese is God's son? Because in that moment, he was so much like God's son. And if you're going to emulate somebody, Paul says, emulate him. Be like him. And if you ask me how, I would say what Paul says. In Christ, be who you already are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we live with so much conflict in our world. It's all around us. And if we're not careful, Lord, we'll slide right into it. But I pray, Lord, that you'd keep us out of that mud. And you would help us to be the people who don't take sides, but who, who answer the, the question, who is on the Lord's side, by saying, I am. Lord, I pray that you would make us makers of peace, Lord, that we would seek peace and pursue it. Because if we don't, nobody else will. And your plan will be thwarted by the evil in our world if the good people are silent, if the sons and daughters of God are quiet while the world is in flames. So make us your people today so much so that people notice it. And I ask this boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I invite you this morning?